Ah, uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Week Interview podcast on Friday, July 20th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about a new guilty plea in the seemingly ever-expanding public corruption scandal, the State Board of Corrections voting to fire the director of the Parole and Probations Division, and a lawsuit aimed at halting I-630 expansion. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Good afternoon. So, I should have gotten a beer before this started. I yeah, think. I know. It's late, late in the day. Uh, so Jerry Walsh, who ran the now-defunct South Arkansas Youth Services, pleaded guilty this week to paying $120,000 to an unnamed Arkansas state senator in return for action favorable to the agency, Walsh and others. He pleaded guilty in federal court in El Dorado. The scheme altogether diverted $380,000 in public money. Yeah, just kind of more the Rusty Cranford scandal. He's the lobbyist who's pleaded guilty to mostly schemes involving preferred family health care. But uh, again, it's just this huge pot of Medicaid money primarily that just proved too tempting for all sorts of people and to get legislation beneficial to health care providers and the services providers. South Arkansas Youth Services worked with delinquent kids uh lobbyists got with them and they got with legislators and money was paid you know this we had the fortuitous event of benji hardy of our staff interviewing jerry walsh early in may about the implosion of south arkansas youth services and some of the things the 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 battles that contributed to that and walsh was kind enough to say well yeah i was having so much trouble i hired two lawyers who were members of the state senate Jeremy Hutchinson and Michael Lamoureux, who was the Senate president pro tem, to, to kind of help us with our situation. Now, of course, and he made a point of saying to us, I, I wasn't hiring any illegal activities here. I just, these were lawyers, and they both made it clear that they would only do things that were legally acceptable. Well, perhaps so, perhaps not. I mean, I and, and I think this is going to be an interesting question. I think it's the reason, I mean, I think, the circumstantial evidence points to Lamoureux as being the person that Walsh is linked up with in this guilty plea. We don't know that, but I think he was, Lamoureux was in a position to approve appropriations bills for the floor and that sort of thing. He certainly was paid some money. Jeremy Hutchinson's lawyer said, this doesn't sound like Jeremy, but he's acknowledged that Jeremy is implicated in the, in the guilty plea pertaining to preferred family health care. So, but but we have this issue where, and it had become something of an open secret at the legislatures that there were lawyer legislators, particularly Jeremy and also Lamoureux, who had had paying clients, who it just so happened also had interest in the legislature. Lamoureux, I did a story when he was president pro tem about how he worked for a rural telephone company as a paid lawyer on a bill that provided money to rural telephone companies. And he said, well, I mean, every, you know, people knew that, and I was doing legal work, and they weren't paying me to do the legislation. I happen to, I'm really knowledgeable about this. It's kind of like Andy Davis, who's in the sewer business and handles all the sewer legislation that sometimes happens to accrue to his benefit. And so we have this point at which there's no doubt money changed hands between a special interest and a legislator. The question is, is when does it become a bribe? And uh, when you're a lawyer and you can make a, a representation that you do legal work, you have a little more room 
to defend it than some of these consultants did when they got consultant money for for working for legislation. So I don't know. I mean, Jeremy's his lawyers already said he did legal legal work. I think the brief statement Lamoureux made to me yesterday is any legal work I did was proper, which suggests he did do legal work. But he's going to argue and that it was proper. And to this point, nobody like that has been indicted. But in this case, we clearly now have Jerry Walsh from the South Arkansas Agency and Rusty Cranford who are prepared to testify that money paid to a lawyer, unnamed lawyer, was intended to get favorable legislative action. In other words, a quid pro quo. That's a crime. Uh, the lawyer can can testify that Oh no, that was that was not anything to do with why I did that, and and let a jury decide. Now, I was talking to Benji earlier today. Uh, I think one of the first things that these cases do develop and go to trial in that fashion, the first thing you'll hear is some cross examination of Jerry Walsh saying, "Well, didn't you tell Benjamin Hardy of the Arkansas Times that you didn't want anything illegal out of this? That this was a straightforward legal arrangement?" and 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 of course, you know, you can see where the cross-examination will go. Yeah. So where do you think, did, did this investigation start with the feds trying to get legislators? Or you know, trying to get some of these? I, I was just on the phone with Brian King, the, the bumptious state senator who was on the other side of this for years and who tried to have laws that required disclosure by legislators who received money from people who received Medicaid money. And He's getting a little bit of justifiable satisfaction of being proven right about some of the corruption that exists here. And I asked that question to him, where do you think this really started? And I just don't know. You know, that there, there, is some, there was some thought that some of this may be spun out of the case in which Mike Maggio was, was convicted of taking money from nursing home interests to, to change a court verdict in a court case in Faulkner County. That involved a Senator Gilbert Baker, who was a money man in this case. Gilbert Baker hadn't been charged, but that perhaps he'd be somebody who could provide a lot of information on the inner workings of the legislature because he'd been a senator and was in on this. Uh, I do know that Michael Lamoureux's name uh, has been mentioned from the start of this investigation as a potential player. It's now come forward because, indeed, he did get legal fees from this agency whose head is now pleaded guilty. Indeed, he was among those who helped steer money to Ecclesia College, which led to several of the other criminal charges and convictions over use of state surplus money that, that got John Woods and got Mike and Neil. Uh, and, of course, the, the preferred family health care scandal also got Eddie Cooper, also got Henry Wilkins. Uh, Jake Files was a crook unto himself, the state senator who carved off some money to help bail out his failing construction company, although he got some unexplained, as yet unexplained money from a nursing home executive who's also tied up in all this. You know, Brian King's view now is that it's just one massive interconnected conspiracy involving just about everybody. And, you know, I'm not ready to, to, to say ditto to that, but I don't think we've begun to see all of the tentacles. You know, when you talk about Medicare, you're talking about a billion-dollar budget in Arkansas. And there's so many ways you can slice it around and hire friends. You know, this, this guilty plea by Jerry Walsh, we know that he's pleaded guilty to paying $132,000 a year to a relative of Rusty Cranford to do nothing. 
and he partial part about half of that money went for him to be a child advocate this person and he had a criminal record so he couldn't pass the background check but he was still paid anyway and he was often told he really ought to come to work but apparently never did no show job so you think that this could be ramping up and not winding down? Well, I just don't know. I mean, it's it's been going on for, what, three years now, and, and at some point statute of limitations questions come into play, and, you know, you only have so much time. I mean, how far do you go? How many people do you get? I, I still hold the belief that that some of the Fed's interest is is not just in the Arkansas legislature. I think the the healthcare organization itself. We've already had one of its accountants plead guilty. He killed himself. We've had one of its federal lobbyists plead guilty. They've uh, fired three or four of the top officials. Uh, but but the very guy at the top of the heap is still there. And this is an agency that that has done. Oh, I think a half billion dollars worth of business over ten years in five states. And so I don't think it's an unfair speculation that if they were as crooked as they clearly were in Arkansas, not every single person at the agency, let me hasten to say, but a fair number of them, that maybe they did some of the same things in other states. And so this is sort of a massive Medicaid swindle, and that's the kind of thing. And actually some of the work began in Missouri where Preferred Health Care is headquartered. And so I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I just I, – they've been – pretty good about keeping things tight-lipped. Now, the latest, hottest rumor is is that they're sitting on at least one sealed indictment against an Arkansas state senator whose attorney is dickering to get a favorable consideration on, on a plea bargain. Uh, but, you know, that's just, that's just rumor, and who knows. Okay, let's leave it there. It was a, uh, a busy news week. The State Board of Corrections voted to fire Sheila Sharp as Community Correction Director. Governor Hutchinson wanted to change, apparently because Sharp didn't want to cut the budget enough. Yeah, I mean, the, the governor put out a budget outline, and she proposed to spend more than he wanted to spend, primarily by hiring some more probation officers. They have a an ungodly caseload for their people, and she wanted more, and, and, I, and she presented it. Now, she says the governor's office knew she was going to present it, but clearly the governor's office wasn't happy about it, and they sent the word to Benny Magnus, the chair of the State Board of Corrections, saying this won't go, you got to fire, and he did. Uh, and now, Benny Magnus says this is all my doing and not the governor's, but clearly it came from the governor. And, you know, I, I think there, there are people on all sides of this issue. Sheila Sharp had been in state government for 40 years, uh, some people thought she was great. Some people didn't think she was that great. Uh, I, I'm not really in a position to judge her management of the agency that much, although they've made some improvements. There are a lot of people think that it shouldn't be a separate division, that it should be recombined with the Department of Corrections, that the separation hadn't worked. That's kind of a big issue that I think we're going to hear more about. But, but I thought whatever else you think about Sheila Sharp, she made some very good points as she was going out the door, and that is that... <clears throat> They have a huge caseload that's too big for the staff that they have. Uh, the figure that she said that struck me the most in our conversation yesterday was is that there are 15,000 people in state prison in Arkansas. 10,000 of them are released every year on probation or parole. Uh, lots of them are multiple offenders who've been back several times before. It's a hard job to think that you can 
bring about some sort of reform and some kind of successful reentry without spending money is crazy. She thinks the governor is cutting budgets to to save money to pay for tax cuts, and that this is going to lead to a disaster. And and I just I, I, I think that's not, a fair reading. I, I mean, could not agree more. You know, they we had the Council of State Governments Justice Reinvestment uh, Group in Arkansas for eighteen months studying the issue, working with the Board of Corrections, working with Community Correction and, and ADC and a legislative task force going through hearing after hearing, coming up with a way, and, and based on methods that had worked in many other states, a number of conservative ones with sort of similar demographics. And we implemented everything they recommended except for expanding the number of parole and probation officers. And they would concede when when asked that it was going to be really difficult the the justice reinvestment folks to be really difficult for it to work when you didn't have sufficient numbers. What was it they 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 wanted a hundred, and she put forward thirty, and they didn't fund those. Yeah, something like. I that. mean, they got nothing. It's just it's nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. So, no, I saw it to Brian King. He said, you know, you get out, and, of course, there's a huge caseload in Pulaski County. This is where most people come. But he said out in the rural areas, you might have a two-man parole office, and somebody's got to go out on a call, and the office closes. I mean, there's nobody there. And so stuff happens, you know, I mean, because it just does. And, you know, you can't blame it on the parole officer if he isn't there, if something happens, and he can't have a meeting with somebody. And so it's... It's a tough thing, and I just think we're heading to Kansas. I really do. And th- this is just one agency. You know, we've heard anecdotally from places like the tiny little Heritage Department that they're just cracking the whip on. You know, they've got a willing agency director, Stacey Hurst, will do whatever the governor wants. And so she's going to cut and cut and cut and cut and cut until there's nothing left to cut. I mean, the state police, I think, doesn't have the manpower they need. They have openings. They've got huge unfilled jobs at the correction department although i'm not sure they can pay enough to hire the people they need even if they could and 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 we continue to grow at a completely unsustainable pace in uh, the prison in, in the in the prison population which is incredibly expensive and the prosecutors don't want to cut them loose they want them to serve longer which so we have that pressure already and at the same time half of the state budget of the of the general revenue budget not the medical budget goes to public schools and every year for the last four years i think the legislature has appropriated some amount less than what they should appropriate under the sufficiency standard of our of Lakeview, and at some point it's going to be like Kansas. The the schools are going to have to shut early. They're just going to be they're going to be beggared, and something's going to have to give. And it's you know I was talking to Brian King today, and and he was saying you know even he's a conservative Republican, he's not a tax and spender, but he said you know you can't just cut taxes and hope you'll have what you need to fund government i mean and yeah, gee, we're getting it, close to a fantasy budget if we're not already there it we're it's 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 not it's just not there okay uh finally a federal lawsuit was filed this week to halt work on an expansion of interstate 630 between baptist medical center and university avenue because the Department of Transportation didn't perform an environmental assessment of the work. Well, it's a great lawsuit. It, it, I, I fear it probably came too late, simply because, although this should not matter, but the fact that the Highway Department has begun work and is ready to work and has committed some money already, particularly now that they have a really establishment judge who ended up drawing the case a third time around, Jay Moody, uh, that, that the... That the in, the impetus of the work being underway might be hard to stop. But here's the deal. 
it's really pretty simple. Richard Mays, who's an uh, environmental lawyer with a lot of experience, filed a lawsuit that said this project requires an environmental impact statement or environmental assessment under the National Environmental Policy Act. There wasn't one done. The highway department says, no, this is a routine project that, that qualifies for an exclusion from that rule because it's just not a big deal. And May says $87 million, not a big deal, noise impact, air quality impact, six lanes to eight lanes, not a big impact. Removing all three of the bridges along that stretch of the road is not a big impact. This is crazy. There needs to be, plus it ties in, as he's noted, and this is very significant, to other ongoing plans. There are further expansion plans on the rest of I-630. There's the coming 30 crossing project, which this is all fits into the induced demand of greater traffic flow that that project will produce. And so this is, if nothing else, a first warning shot that the highway department just can't go and willy-nilly build stuff like it always is done without somebody firing back. Now, yesterday, Judge Moody allowed them to go ahead to begin today with demolishing the Hughes Street overpass. He said that doesn't have in and of itself an environmental impact, which, I mean, that may be arguably so. And they're going to replace the bridge. and But he's going to have a hearing Monday on a temporary restraining order. I feel less confident about it now, given what happened Friday. But, but uh, it's uh, I mean, Richard uh, knows what he's talking about, and that when you read all of the various things, they had one public hearing three years ago. It was done before the noise study was done. They did a noise study and identified some areas where they're going to make some improvements to reduce the impact of the noise, but not in all the places it's going to happen. They're taking a park away where basketballs played on Canis Road. They're obviously going to be more air pollution from eight lanes of traffic than six lanes. There's obviously going to be more community dislocation, just like this freeway caused in the first place. So these are the kind of things that the highway department just sort of blew a big raspberry at. And I'm, at least it's going to get some hearing. And I think it ought to contribute somewhat to the discussion on 30 crossing, which still lies ahead. Hope it has an impact on the mayor's race. You know, there was a really kind of an interesting develop in the Little Rock Mayor's Race, thanks to our podcast, where we did an interview with Baker Curris, who was the late... Matt Price did. Matt Price did. A late arrival in the Mayor's Race, and Baker, Work Saban has been an ardent opponent of the 30 Crossing Project as it's envisioned. Frank Scott's a Chamber of Commerce guy, former Highway Commissioner. He thinks it's great. And Baker came in and said, well, it's just a little late. You know, it's you know they've tried hard, and I just don't know what the mayor can do at this point. And it looks like they've made some accommodations and kind of trying to sort of pro thirty crossing, but not too wildly so. But trying to strike a middle ground. Well, I mean, I, I've he said now there may be an, a lawsuit to change. This was before the lawsuit was filed, and well, now there's a lawsuit, and there's clearly going to be another one. I think we can intuit from what's been said by Richard Mays. And so maybe, and we know from Leslie's great, Peacock's great story for the Times about how the latest iteration of this plan makes the project even wider and it produces some potentially drastic impact on the downtown grid system that the highway department won't pay for. It's going to be stuck in the city's lap. So I'm just not how, how sure how much longer Baker can say there's not really much for a mayor to be doing at this point. I think there is. And I think there is a small but significant slice of voters to whom what the mayoral candidates say about this project is going to be determinant in November in their vote. Yeah, that's an important issue for me, I'll say. 
All right, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? Oh, man. Well, I mentioned this show that I watched on the British Channel of uh, Keeping Faith about a British lawyer woman whose husband disappeared, and I watched it through, and it and it's going to have a second season, and it had – have you ever watched a series before that had a very last second end of season unexpected dramatic twist? Yeah. This one did. I'm, and I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> but in any event, it did. But I think I'll be back for another season. So keeping faith, keeping your, keeping your mind. Okay. Uh, I spent much of the week near Mountain View uh, in a little cabin on the Sillimore Creek. and uh, Catch some trout? No. I don't think there's brim in the Sillimore. I don't know if there's trout. And the white, there's trout. The white and the trout, yeah. But uh, I, I, I don't think that I've been to the Sillimore, at least not as an adult, but it was so lovely to be cold and yeah, the water is spring fed and hot July. I think it's spring fed. I mean, frigid at points. And we found that's great. Definitely the best swimming hole in Arkansas. This, you had to kind of hike to it and there was a big rope swing. It was partly shaded, partly sunny. There's a big tree that the kids could sit on when they weren't on the rope swing or in the water, deep pool. It was, crystal clear water with just a kind of hint of blue it was it was oh, just picturesque and then we went to Blanchard Caverns which is 57 degrees I think so that's also after cold. Thailand I don't think I'm going in a cave again yeah you're pretty <laughs> safe there that's not I don't think no, the water goes I've out. been to Blanchard Springs oh it's funny my wife is just crazy about bats she hates them they just and she's and I said not to worry in caves where there are all these walkways and stuff. They say you never see a bat. Oh no, we saw Tom. Oh, about three it. seconds in, one flew into her head. <laughs> <laughs> she was not happy. A little kid on our tour asked if the bats fly around like they do in the Batman movies, and the the national parks person said that um, bats get get a bad rap on movies and TV that they never act like that. So. Maybe well, that, I, I think it was just you know just bad navigation. I don't. It wasn't an attack. I'm not. I'm not dissing the bats here, but one did fly into her air. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our other podcasts, uh, the conversation which we mentioned earlier, featuring Matt Price. Check out that interview with Baker Curris. We've got No Small Talk, an entertainment podcast with Stephanie Smittle and Amaya Jones. Rock the culture, the always entertaining. A uh, podcast about black life in Little Rock, hosted by Antoine Phillips and often State House Minority Leader Charles Blake. They'll be back next week after taking a break for what they called season one. And uh, Tracy Berry is hosting a new podcast on LGBT life in Arkansas called Out in Arkansas. Oh, hey, and, and read Lindsay's cover story this week, a funny take on ranking cities. And it, was, it had some good information in it about how to evaluate whether all these top ten lists on cities and stuff. It's all it's all baloney in short, to use a kind of word. <laughs> there you go. Too long, didn't read. There you go. All right, we'll see you next time. <laughs>